Hello, I'm Grayson Bolte, and welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today. Before this episode begins, please kindly take a moment to follow and be notified when a new episode is released. On today's episode, I sat down with Igor Cherempinski, Director of Sikorsky Innovations at Sikorsky, a Lockheed Martin company. Today's helicopter pilots do more and more complicated missions, managing data while they fly. Enter Sikorsky Innovations, bringing autonomy to helicopter flight to provide safe flight in any weather, in any condition. Imagine flying a helicopter from an iPad. Yes, that's right, an iPad. It's cool. It's happening today through Sikorsky X2. We're on a mission to learn more. Tune in. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Igor. Thank you, Grayson. Super excited to have you here. Sikorsky is an iconic company. You build the world's best helicopters. And more importantly, you build Marine One for the President of the United States. So you're doing incredible things. So thank you so much for coming here today. To begin the podcast, I'd like to quote Igor Sikorsky, the founder of Sikorsky. The helicopter is probably the most versatile instrument ever invented by man. It approaches closer than any other fulfillment to mankind's ancient dreams of the flying horse and the magic carpet. A powerful statement from a true innovator. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, it, it's definitely the case, right? The, the fact that helicopters can get close to, to obstacles, right? They can be in all sorts of interesting environments where they can actually help uh, sort of regular human beings is what makes it interesting, right? Uh, from from EMS to search and rescue to any of these missions, it's a very unique machine that's really designed for those kinds of missions. Was that the original inspiration for the helicopter to do the missions that you're not able to do with a plane? Oh, absolutely, right? I mean, Igor Sikorsky had a vision of, you know, a helicopter in every driveway. And while we haven't gotten there yet, you know, I hope one day will. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's thousands and thousands of people who have been helped by helicopters in one way or the other. Perhaps if the flying car trend takes off and you, you never know, an individual could have it there or, or a version of it. And I want to stay on uh, Mr. Sikorsky because he, he founded Sikorsky in 1923, and then in 1939, Mr. Sikorsky designed the VS-300 helicopter, which was the first successful single-lifting rotor helicopter in the United States. With this long history of innovation, how do you balance the heritage of Sikorsky while you continue to innovate and, and work on new innovative products while maintaining the culture and the heritage? Yeah, so you have to remember, right? Igor Sikorsky said that, you know, be very careful on combining words impossible and aviation, right? Every time we say that, we, we obviously get proven wrong time and time again. So, so that's what we, we here at Sikorsky Innovations, you know, do. Uh, the organization was stood up, uh, you know, in, in 2010 to, to solve tough challenges in vertical flight. And uh, trust me, we're not going to run out of those challenges anytime soon. So we, we get a whole bunch of like-minded people Right, and and our motto is we we go and do we try. Sometimes it doesn't work out, which is learning itself, and a lot of times it works out great, as you know, evidence between X two and autonomy and other things that we've done. What are some of the challenges that you're facing in the innovation program that you're trying to overcome? So it's always a balance of how much risk, how fast, and what are you trying to accomplish, right? So so we're trying to to obviously stay realistic, right, and, and not sort of overreach, while you know, tackling these, these tough problems. And when you look at those problems, you got your pilot's license at 16. You're also a helicopter pilot. Does that training to get your licenses for helicopter and an airplane play into the fact of how do you overcome those challenges because you've actually taken to the sky as a pilot? Oh, absolutely. It gives you a very unique perspective. In fact, you know, we encourage all of our engineers to to at least go complete ground school, if not go fly, 
because it, it brings it into perspective what kind of environment you you encounter out there, right? From your first solo when, you know, perhaps you're you're a little scared, right? Go around your pattern to, to really, you know, your first cross country when you maybe encounter some bad weather and realize, oh, right, am I really supposed to be here kind of thing. It's just a lot of the stories we hear from our professional pilots, right? And, and I'm not a professional pilot, I'm a private pilot, but our our pilots who have served in the military, right? We, we have a great project pilot who, who is a Coast Guard pilot, and he has some unbelievable stories of things that, you know, they have accomplished. Uh, it puts on perspective, right? Also reminds us of our mission, you know, why we are here. What was it like the first time that you soloed? Was it nerve wracking or you're like, I did this, I'm going to do this? <laughs> Yeah, it's a little bit of both, right? I mean, you're, you're obviously proud to get to that moment. And, and I saw it by the sailplane at, at 16, right? So so no engine, just just a little bit of added pressure there. And and yeah, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't scared, right? I, I think everyone's scared during their first solo. In fact, uh, right, a, a good pilot stays a little nervous all the time, right? Just just to make sure that, you know, we all remember we're human. We, we make mistakes. And, uh, you know, up there in the sky, uh, mistakes can, can be costly. And that's why you always have to to be attentive and respect the machine and you're you're doing that and you've got this great engineering background and you're the chief engineer of Sikorsky autonomy programs and the director of Sikorsky innovations so you've got pilot background you understand coming over challenges you have engineering background how do you put this all together and and i'm gonna put it my words in a blender and say okay i've got all this experience i'm going to approach a challenge i'm going to innovate for Sikorsky how do you put that all together uh, to constantly continue to innovate. It's really focused on our mission, right? And our mission is to enable our customers to, to, to do very hard things and quite frankly, right, br- bring everybody home every time. So, right, as you said, you put us all in a blender, you you know, I, I usually take some of my experiences, talk again to our pilots, take their experiences, and then see what we can do to, to make that mission, you know, easier, if, that, if that's a word I can even use or, or possible. Right, that's that's at the end what we aim, especially with things like autonomy. When you're looking at missions, are you referring to your uh, military government, or are you referring to Coast Guard, or perhaps there's a private sector Sikorsky client that wants to run a mission? All of them, right? That that's the the amazing part about helicopters is that they get used for you know variety of missions, from VIP transport to Coast Guard, right, to all sorts of search and rescue operations, to to even bringing you know workers to oil rigs. Is that was the safety in, in getting workers home every time? Was that the inspiration for the Sikorsky Autonomy Research Aircraft Program? Yeah, I mean, so you know, my background is really flight controls, and when I originally started working in Sikorsky, I actually was was designing flight control systems for helicopters, and and autonomy really grew out of that. You know, between myself and my team, really my friends, right, who who I met at Sikorsky. We all said, now that we start to, to make these you know, machines more and more sophisticated, what's next? And, and autonomy was a natural outgrowth of that. And there's these great videos on the Sikorsky site where you have the, the test helicopter individuals are going up and they're flying it with an iPad. That was amazing. How, how was that done? How was that possible? Yeah, so they, they really are. Right? Our, our test pilots were, were operating our Blackhawk with iPads. They operate our Sierra aircraft with iPads. You know, do we really think that people are going to operate helicopters, iPads per se? Probably not, but touchscreen controls are nothing new, right? And so we're all geeks. We're all Star Trek fans. We've all seen, um, you know, Starship Enterprise being operated by five people. And obviously it's science fiction, but it says something about our society, right? That we believe that at some point we're going to allow machines to do a lot of this kind of work for us. But the key there to remember, right, human being is always there. Because humans are really great at figuring out what to do, right? I'm yet to see a machine that can, you know, define a mission, 
right? People are really, really good at that. Once you've defined the mission, helping people execute it, right? Do, do the flying, you know, help find the, the person in the water. That's what machines are great at. And that's what the autonomy is aimed at. So when we looked at iPad interface, it's not necessarily that you can just fly a helicopter with the iPad. It's the fact that you can exp explain to the machine and have this running dialogue of here's what I'm trying to accomplish and machine feeding you back of here are all the ways you can accomplish it. And at the end, you get to pick how you do it. And that combination between human machine is very powerful. How about when we've seen movies and um, I grew up in Connecticut down the road from where Sikorsky is in Stratford and you would hear stories and you would see things on the news where your helicopters for the Coast Guard would go out in the most horrendous conditions to rescue a capsized boat. And God bless your technology, the men and women in that chopper came home safe and the, the individuals in the boat came home safe because your chopper was able to get them and handle, handle these well weather elements that you know were something else in the North Atlantic. Are you able to go out in that bad weather with one of your autonomous helicopters today? So that that's what they're designed for, right? We are looking at, at sensors and algorithms that help humans see better, right? In that kind of weather. Because again, as as you talk to special Coast Guard pilots, although, you know, Army and Navy, they, they all do it. Uh, but, but Coast Guard is special because, you know, there's a saying that Coast Guard just starts to pull out their helicopters when everyone else is, you know, putting their airplanes away because the weather's so terrible. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, a lot of these missions, no one really has a choice. That's to say, as you said, someone's out there about to drown or when army medevac pilots, you know, depart to, to rescue down people, it, it's really not a choice of whether to go. They, they always go. It's what, what environment they encounter, they get there. So that's what we're doing, right? Between our sensors and algorithms, we were enabling the pilots to see better, operate with machine better, avoid obstacles, right? Not hit things and, and find what they're looking for. Are those algorithms, are you pulling in real-time weather data from the National Weather Service so the pilots can understand the autonomy system? There's a front coming here or there's a possible weather situation there? Uh, it's part of it. I mean, a lot of it is really focused at, at multispectral sensing and being able to see through fog and dust and rain and snow and then recognize the environment you're in, right? Realizing, that, hey, there's a ship over there and even though it's really foggy, I can see the ship deck and I can see somebody you know, waving something at me saying, hey, I'm here. That, that's really what we're focused because remember with helicopters very frequently you're pretty low so even communications like data links are not a guarantee so everything we do all the computing all the sensing typically resides right there with you because in these missions a lot of times you know i hate to say it but you're sort of alone there with your crew so it's you your co-pilot your your you know folks in the back so it's four or five people in that machine it's almost a microcosm Right when they get down there, they're, they're in charge, they're running the mission, and being able to talk to anyone else is not a guarantee. When you're putting the, com the compute power in the helicopter, say like the H860 Jayhawk, does weight become an issue if you're going to put more GPUs, or does that become an issue? Absolutely. Weight is always an issue, right? Because every pound you put in, you have to lift. So yeah, so we, we spend a lot of time optimizing our code to run on you know what we call high-performance computers, uh, but folks who who do real high performance computing, you know, laugh at us. You know, we'll consider we'll consider you know eight cores of of a high end ARM machine being a high performance computer. Where you know you're talking about GPUs and people will run you know hundreds of GPUs, and we sometimes don't have that luxury on board our vehicles. Wow. So putting this all into context, is the program commercialized today? Is it being used outside of Coast Guard or other? commercial clients and applications that the technology is currently being used for today? 
Yeah, so if you think about our autonomy program, it, it's spinning off you know, technology threads everywhere. So for example, a while back, we added a rig approach mode to our SNA2 helicopters, right? It's a, it's a fairly you know, simple start of autonomy where the, the helicopter can autonomously approach an oil rig. Not quite land on it yet, just approach it. Um, as part of our you know, military offerings, we're now looking at mitigating the great visual environment, right? So again, brownout and things like that. So yeah, it's going across all our product lines. It, it's part of our future vertical lift offering, right? We, we don't want to see another controlled flight and terrain or degrade visual, you know, environment accent ever again if if we could, right? So working really hard to eliminate those kinds of you know issues. You look at your clients and the military. Obviously, they have different needs than your um, individuals going, you know, chauffeuring individuals to and from the oil rig or you know a private sector client that's using it to uh, commute to work, for example. Do all those customers have input into the design process because there's there's different needs and and different requirements? Absolutely. We, we go talk to all of them. And, and it, it's interesting, even though the missions are different, right? The, the obvious core desire to be able to operate the machine in all weather and, quite frankly, be guaranteed that you're going to come home, right? It's, it's fairly universal. So the number one goal in all this is to get the individuals to and from their destination safely. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, and be, and be able to do it in, in really any kind of environment, weather. Does that help some individuals that are afraid to fly over a helicopter that the safety track record of Sikorsky helps persuade them to say, listen, this is a safe alternative mode of transportation to get you to and from your destination. Look at our track record of safety and innovation. A absolutely. I, I mean, our S-92 helicopter is, you know, approaching levels of safety that that's a airline-like, quite frankly. So there's no reason why if, if you like a helicopter, you can afford a helicopter, you shouldn't get a helicopter. Uh, that that's uh, you know that that's absolutely a great statement and and you know the the Blackhawk family of helicopters right they're absolutely iconic I I have been you know passenger in them many times I I would never be you know afraid to fly in one and you know seeing some things that that happen to them and and you know knowing that people walked away perfectly fine is it, just you know it's a great feeling Blackhawk's an iconic helicopter I, I'd love to know what is it like to fly in a Blackhawk is it like is it like absolutely awesomely cool. Yeah, well, it's it's absolutely awesome, like cool, because they have a lot of power. They're very maneuverable, and you feel like you can go anywhere, right? I mean, that that that's again that that was the whole point of of designing the original helicopter, and you know the things we've done with things like X two, just take that and you know multiply it by a factor of ten, so to speak. X two is is the world's fastest helicopter. It achieves speeds greater than two hundred and fifty knots. It has low speed and high speed maneuverability at sixty plus degrees on a bank. And the ability to hover in high altitudes and in hot conditions. Bill Fell, who's an X2 experimental test pilot, has stated the following in public about the helicopter. These fundamentals make a helicopter fly more like a tactical jet aircraft than a classic rotocraft. That's a big bold statement that's intriguing. You talk about that, please? Yeah, absolutely. So so what makes X2 so unique, right, is that at low speed it retains all the properties of a helicopter. And, and actually in some more, but but really you can hover for, for quite a while. It has what's called a low disc loading, meaning it has a you know large rotor. It's very fuel efficient in the hover. It's quiet, right? It's everything people get used to, you know, in a Blackhawk, quite frankly. Uh, but because it's a coaxial rigid rotor machine and has a pusher prop, once you turn that on, uh, Bill's absolutely right. You can you can do quite a bit of acceleration, and once you get to high speed, uh, because of a lot of the technological advances, right, that we can do today, things like fly-by-wire flight controls, active vibration control, 
we make it feel like you're flying a jet. In fact, if I was to take you and put you in a simulator, you know, X2 aircraft at, you know, 200 plus knots, if you knew how to fly a fixed wing, it would fly very much like a light tactical jet. Right up until you slow down to a hover and you realize, well, geez, light tactical jets can't really hover, but this machine absolutely can. Is there a different training for, uh, say, military pilots that are or commercial pilots that are going to fly this? Is there a different training that goes into it since the helicopter is so advanced versus a traditional helicopter? So yes and no. Again, because it's a fly-by-wire machine, we actually make flying pretty easy. You know, we could teach anyone the, the basics of flight of that machine in a in an hour or two. Uh, you know, understanding its limits and pushing it to its limits is a completely different story. But it, it, it is very easy to fly. Like, honestly, like any other, you know, of our flyboard platforms, if I was to put you in a, you know, our flyboard S92 platform, it's also pretty easy to fly. Or 53K, for example, right? One of the world's largest helicopters. When you are sitting in it and you're flying it, it still kind of feels like you're wearing it, you know, less flying it. So is it going to get to the point where it's going to become easier and easier uh, for an individual to fly a helicopter as your technology advances? A absolutely. And again, that, that's our goal. Honestly, realizing the fact that today's pilots, you know, do a lot more mission-related work than, than flying. So it's, it's almost, you know, silly of me to say, but it's true that today's pilots almost have no time to fly the machine because they are busy doing the mission. And the missions are getting more and more complicated, right? They're becoming now part of this massive network in the sky. You know, they're talking to other assets. If you're on military side, right, you are now part of this massive network. You're, you're talking to, you know, the fast jets. You're talking to the folks on the ground. You're managing all this data coming in. And oh, by the way, you also have to fly. So we have to make flying easier. And on a civil side, right, again, between S-92s and S-76s, whether it's going to and from oil rigs or, or shuttling VAPs, or quite frankly, 76 that are, you know, S-76s that get used for, you know, as air ambulances. They, they have a tremendously difficult mission. So making all those machines, you know, fly, that, that's almost, you know, secondary nature to pilots is, 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 is what's called for here. Is that why Sikorsky invented the Matrix technology? Yeah, absolutely. That 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 is what, what we believe is, you know, evolution of the flight controls. And, you know, we can have a great conversation whether future pilots won't even have, you know, conventional collective and cyclic pedals, or they'll have, you know, touchscreen controls and a small side stick just in case, or whatever the, the new ways of flying are, the machine will be doing most of the sort of minute to minute flying. For our listeners who might not be familiar with the Matrix technology, how would you explain it to them? It's fly a helicopter with the iPad. It's, it's basically, you can operate the machine and, and, and sort of manage the mission without knowing the physics of a helicopter flight. And, and, and by the way, a lot of us are doing this today in cars without realizing that, right? My, my favorite example here is anti-lock brakes. Nobody but nobody ever questions hitting the brake pedal, but, you know, we have to realize there used to be time when you had to be trained on how to pulse the brake pedal properly if you wanted to really stop and not skid, right? I don't know of anyone today who has that skill because the, the computers are doing that for us, right? Traction controls, anti-lock brakes. When we all want to stop, we just slam on the brakes. So this is very similar. That's a really great analogy. Um, too Simple, the autonomous trucking company had their first earnings call yesterday, and they talked about the inspiration they're taking from aviation and aerospace. And you have uh, Brian Selesky, who's the CEO of Argo AI, who's on a previous podcast. He was talking about the inspiration from aerospace. So you're really starting to see a lot of the ground vehicle individuals take a lot of hints from aerospace, especially 
as it relates to safety. And you did this really wonderful interview with the drive on March 4th, 2019, which you stated the following. Unlike the car folks, we're not trying to solve the entire problem. We're not trying to create a super pilot, but rather are right now focused on augmented flying, letting the computers do what they do best while the humans make high-level decisions. We've worked through the challenges on a case-by-case basis rather than trying to train for the entirety of the flight. It's a really great approach, and you've pretty much summed it up brilliantly, and that's really kind of what you're doing is to allow the pilots to be part of the mission. Is that where it's going? Absolutely. Because, again, humans are really, really good at doing high-level decisions and and designing missions at at the top level, right? We don't have machines yet that can do that. I'm sure it's either a podcast or or a huge discussion in itself whether machines will ever able to do that, but it's almost kind of pointless. I mean, it's a thought exercise. Today, we need to solve these lower-level problems that are facing us today. You're right about that. You're always working on solving problems, and you led a success pursuit for for DARPA, the Defense Research Projects Agency, for the aircrew labor in in cockpit automation system. You, you pr- please kindly talk about that and what the benefits were to that program. Sure, absolutely. And and you know, I, I should say we love working with DARPA because again, right, DARPA is all about solving today's and tomorrow's problems and and doing it efficiently. So that particular program focused. On autonomy, but they also recognize the fact that hey, there there's a lot of you know vehicles out there in the fleet today. So yeah, while we can talk about designing these new cool things and and making them more autonomous and easier to fly, what about current fleets? So that was the whole point of of that program. And working with DARPA, we developed a, a whole set, right? We call it a kit of actuators, computers, and various things that you can use to take a, a legacy platform like a Black Hawk, or we've done it with a Cessna Caravan and you know, other platforms retrofit this autonomy into them. And, and voila, now you have these nice, you know, easy to fly machines and they're already in the fleet. You're spot on about DARPA. DARPA is an, in, an incredible agency. And one could could make the argument that if it wasn't for DARPA funding, it wasn't for the multiple grand challenges, we wouldn't have the advancements in self-driving cars today. They really, you know, the meeting at the Peterson Museum in California, that kickstarted the whole thing. And DARPA just continues to innovate and they're working with great companies like Sikorsky, and and I can't wait to see what DARPA continues to do. And I'd love to know, though, on the program that you worked on, what were the safety benefits that were achieved? As we looked at these platforms, even fixed wings, right, airplanes, that there's a lot of, like, for example, landing incidences, right, bad weather. So we've automated those parts of a mission that were the most prone to, to giving human beings issues. And we've demonstrated that pilot workload has dropped tremendously. And, you know, it's not just about pilot workload is to say you don't do this just for the sake of pilot workload. That leads to huge improvements in safety, right? When humans aren't overtaxed, right, cognitively, they're they're much safer. And oh, by the way, this also allows these legacy platforms to expand their mission. They can now do more things because you have humans with more sort of spare brain cycles available. Really valid point. And I want to point out that Sikorsky builds generation after next technology. So you're not focused on today. You're focused uh, to the future. So with this approach, how does Sikorsky find the next generation of engineers and innovators who are interested in helicopters and aviation? Is it starting uh, with a high school program, a STEM? How do you get these these individuals to come on and say, you know what, Igor, you're building really cool stuff. I want to build the next version of what you're building. So it's we, we definitely spend a lot of time with things like, you know, first robotics, STEM outreach, local and global. We, we work with all sorts of schools and universities, right? We, we have from interns to, to to really, you know, knowing the professors at, at various schools, 
right? Local schools, global schools from, from MIT to, you know, to WPI that's next to us, you know, to Georgia Tech, to Maryland, like, you know, I can go on and on. And, and we really try to find people that, that are passionate about what we do, right? Because at the end, this is hard work. We, we, you know, there are days when we work a lot of hours and you really want, uh, you know, people who are into this, who, who really don't view this as a, as a hardship, but sort of view it as their life's work. And, and we do find those people. They're, they're out there. Passion's key because these individuals wake up. It's not like, oh, I have to go to work. Oh, I want to go to work. We're going to go build the future and we're going to do this prototype today or we're going to do this test flight or we're going to ship this product. That's what you want because it's not work and they, they believe in it. It becomes their life's work and they, they want to do good. So as you recruit, there's individuals like you that are doing this incredible stuff in Sikorsky. You're recruiting these young, incredible, talented individuals who want to make this their life's work. They, they want to do good in society. Putting this all into context, what does the future of innovation at Sikorsky look like? Well, right. I mean, there is the immediate future of what we are focused on next, right? So things like X2 flying, autonomy is, you know, being commercialized. So we're starting to look at the next set of challenges, for example, electric flight. But what does electric flight mean, not for a 6,000-pound vehicle, but what does electric flight mean for a 15,000-pound vehicle, which, by the way, is different, and that's what Sikorsky builds. Uh, things like that. And then we're starting to look at, you know, things even further out there, right? So how do I do ultra-efficient VTOL? really ultra-efficient VTOL, again, having electric and some of the other, you know, aerodynamic technologies, new blades, things that are developing, you know, the, the vehicles that we probably couldn't build for, for another 20 years, but 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 that's okay. It's it's this whole continuum that, that we continue to explore. And by the way, back to your previous subject, that's what attracts the young people, right? When, when we bring folks in for, for interviews or we're talking to, to the college, you know, college graduates or, or even just college students, we'll say, hey, we obviously have a great product line today. We're, we're, we're focused, right? We, we have to deliver to our customers. Here's what's coming tomorrow. I mean, if you come work for us five years from now, you'll probably get to work on, on this cool stuff. That's a five-year stuff. And as you stay, you know, throughout your career, here are the things that we're thinking of, you know, 10, 15 years from now. And here's the problems we can't even approach solving. So, hey, maybe you can solve these for us, right? And it's, and it's this continuum that brings people in. Because you're always forward-looking into the future. I mean, that's what going back to Mr. Igor Sikorsky, he was always looking to the future. You mentioned the commercialization of autonomy there. Is it currently shipping to any of your, your customers that technology or is it still um, in the early stages of commercialization? We have an FAA certified product today on our S92s. That, that's our approach that, that's flying today. Um, we are working with the FAA on, on several projects. So for example, a while back we announced that we're working with Ericsson Right to put our matrix kit on on the on the sky crane and you know do firefighting. Again, we, we believe that's going to be a, a great benefit to, to our country, quite frankly, and especially special people in California who are much more prone to fires, but but in general to the society. Um, right there, there are other projects that I can't discuss yet, but you know you'll see a shorter talking within the next six months to a year that that are along all those same lines. The bottom line is Sikorsky has a long heritage of innovating and doing good. And Igor, as we look to wrap up this insightful conversation. I've learned a lot. I think it's interesting. What would you like our listeners to take away with them? We here know that we will never combine words impossible in aviation. If you have a great idea, right, especially your listeners, right, if anyone has great ideas, don't don't be afraid to pursue them because, you know, as long as you have passion, you can accomplish a lot. I'll summarize this for Igor. There is no such thing as impossible when it comes to aviation. 
If you're a young individual listening and you want to work for a world-renowned company to build the future, Sikorsky is a great home for you. If you're looking at an innovator to get inspired, the videos on Sikorsky's website are absolutely fascinating. They could spark some ideas. And as we've heard on today's podcast, today is tomorrow, tomorrow is today, and the future is autonomous flight. Igor, thank you so much for coming on the SAE Tomorrow Today podcast. It's been really wonderful. Thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next by emailing us at podcast at SAE.org. That's podcast at SAE.org. Tune in next week to hear from Al Savage, Starfire Network Manager, John Deere, to learn more about their GPS capabilities and the critical role it plays in farming. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn to stay connected and continue the conversation. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.